Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. We are going to be in Genesis 16 tonight, so if you have your Bible, go ahead and grab it right now. Open up to Genesis chapter 16. The God who sees Genesis 16. Let's pray one more time. Father, we are grateful to be in this place tonight. We're grateful for all the precious people that have taken time this Wednesday evening, kind of a middle-of-the-week time to refresh and uh, reinvigorate our spirit. And, and Lord, there's so much that comes at us during the week, the work week, the freeways, the, the demands at home, all the things that come our way, the stresses and strains of life. And Lord, this is a chance just to kind of take a deep breath and just let some of those things fall to the wayside in the beauty of your presence. And thank you that Corporate worship is such a beautiful thing. Thank you that you inhabit the praises of your people. And thank you that as we draw near to you, you draw near to us. You're the God that loves us, a God that pursues your people. More than that, you're a God who lives inside of us. And thank you that we have that great hope, Jesus Christ in us, the hope of glory. As we turn now to Genesis 16 and look at Abram and Sarai and this story of Hagar and Ishmael, we come with expectation, Lord, because your word is alive, and we just pray that whatever you want us to hear tonight, you'll give us ears to hear what you would want to say to your people tonight. And those who may be checking out Christianity or maybe coming back after a long hiatus, I pray that you'd bless them and meet them here tonight. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. The God who sees Genesis 16, the chapter opens, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. And she had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. Now, if you're familiar with the Bible, you know that Genesis 16 is somewhat of a hiccup, once again, in the story of Abram's faith and Sarai's faith. And Abram is certainly a man that is taking us on a journey of faith, and we're, we're supposed to follow in his footsteps, but not all of his footsteps, because he certainly had some hiccups, and this chapter could be called uh, trying to take a shortcut in faith. Whenever you try to take shortcuts, you know what often happens. Sometimes shortcuts can be good, but oftentimes they turn out not to be so good, and you end up lost and confused and in the wrong place. And shortcut is an interesting word because this particular chapter tonight is about a cutting consequence that's going to happen in the life of Sarai and Abram. And this is a journey that I think we all can say as we take the the walk of faith and the journey of faith No walk of faith is walked with perfect feet. So let's get that out of the way. We are all in process. Faith is a journey. And when we talk about faith in the Bible, you place your faith in Christ, and that's how you get saved. You're saved by grace through faith. But then the life after that initial conversion is still a life of faith. And faith is a word of trust. It's putting confidence and trust in God in the face of our fears, in the face of the unknown future, and it's, it's really reliance upon God in the essence of faith is reliance upon God in everyday life. It's learning to trust him more and more through the good times and the bad times, through the ups and the downs of life. This is going to be one of those downs, but there's many things that we can learn from this chapter. Sarai uh, was unable to have children, and in, in Genesis 15, Abram was wondering about this. They were getting older, and Abram said, I have no heir. I only have Eleazar of Damascus, and he's a foreigner. He's born in my house. Is he going to be my heir? And God said, no, he's not going to be your heir. There's going to be an heir that comes from your own body. 
And God took Abram outside and he showed him the stars of the sky. And he said, if you could count these stars, uh, your descendants will be even more than these. And Abram had an incredible moment with God, what we would call a theophany, where God showed up in this fiery type of furnace and God passed through these animal pieces. This is last Wednesday we were together. And God cut an unconditional covenant. Abram did not pass through the animal pieces. Only God did. And God was saying, if I don't keep this covenant, in essence, this is what it meant historically in the ancient times, may happen to me what happened to these animals. And they were cut in half and lined up. And God made an unconditional promise, a blood covenant, if you will, wholly dependent upon him and his faithfulness. And Abram had that promise. He had the promise that he he would have an innumerable amount of descendants. And yet, when he looked at the natural, when he looked at the reality of life, he saw no offspring. There was still no child. And so he was still wondering. And some, some of us have a wondering faith. You know, oftentimes we say, I have faith, but I still wonder about how it's going to work out. What are the mechanics? How is this going to work? We want answers. And time passed. Some 10 years went by. You know, sometimes it's hard to wait 10 minutes for a promise. I know it's hard to wait 10 minutes for a burrito in the fast food line, that's for sure, especially with that clock there. So we get impatient, and we're supposed to be patient. We're supposed to patiently wait for the promises. We know that, the, that patience is a fruit of the Spirit. We know that faith does take patience, but it's hard. We're human. So Sarai said to Abram, now behold, verse 2, the Lord has prevented me, and this was the the belief, and this does go back to Genesis 4.1, that the opening and closing of the womb was dependent on God. God, the Lord, has prevented me from bearing children. So Sarai may have a little anger here. She can't have kids. And this fell to the woman. Infertility in the ancient world, fair or not fair, and this would be unfair, fell on the woman. And the woman was blamed for the infertility of the family and that she could not provide an heir to her husband. And a son or multiple sons was a prize in the ancient world. They helped you take care of property and you passed on your name in this way. And so for a woman not to be able to give a son to her husband was a tragedy and no less than a tragedy. And it would invite ridicule and scorn. And in fact, they say in the ancient world that it was grounds for divorce. If your wife could not bury you a son, you could legally divorce her in that culture. And so she... You know, she sees this as the hand of God preventing her from bearing children. So she makes a suggestion. She says, please go into my maid. That's her servant. Perhaps I shall obtain children through her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. Now, we know as husbands that it's often quite wise to listen to our wives. But in this occasion, this was a bad career move from Abram. So there's times to listen to your wife, but Abram was the leader. Abram had been called by God. God had been speaking to Abram. And this particular suggestion that Sarai has is a suggestion out of desperation. We can understand it. And in the ancient world, this was totally acceptable. Now in modern times, you know, people will try to use science to help them maybe have children if there's some infertility. But in the ancient world, there was no such thing. So what became acceptable in the ancient world is that you could bring another woman, she would become a second wife, and she would be able to bear children to the family. In fact, they had an ancient ceremony, and when the woman was about to give birth, the surrogate mom, if you will, the other mother who could not have children, would undress, 
lay next to her. When the child was born, they would take the newborn child and lay it on the mom who could not have children. This was an ancient practice, perfectly acceptable. Nobody in the community would mock Abram or give him a hard time for choosing this option. In fact, I would imagine that Sarai and Abram had many conversations on many nights about God's promise and how it would happen and how long should they wait. And did God expect them to do something? You know, we get confused as Christians sometimes because we know we're on a faith journey and we know there's things that we have to do as Christians to act out our faith. You know, we've heard the old saying that God does not steer a parked car. We should be moving. We should be active in our faith. And sometimes it's hard for us to know when we're sitting around being lazy and not doing what we're supposed to do and when we should be waiting on God and how do you work all that out? And that's one of the tougher questions in the Christian life. And I don't have all the answers for you. So you just have to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and put the situation before God and use the scriptures and uh, prayer and counsel of other godly believers in your life. But she is desperate, and so she proposes this acceptable thing that um, this would occur through her maid or her servant, Hagar. Hagar is not a focal point so far in the whole book of Genesis, and she's kind of on the lower rung. She's a person that's not the center of the story. She's a person that's uh, maybe not in the light. You know, we, we read Genesis and we see, you know, Adam and Eve and we see Cain and Abel and we see Enoch and Noah and Abram and Sarai, but Hagar? I mean, maybe you feel like a Hagar. Maybe you feel like I'm somebody that's never quite up front or I'm never really even noticed. I'm kind of the, I'm kind of the footnote on the page. That's, I'm sure, how Hagar felt. She was a servant in this household. She probably had been acquired when Abram went down to Egypt in the famine, and he had acquired much cattle and uh, animals and servants and brought into the household. And I'm sure it wasn't, you know, the thrill of her life to be a servant to somebody else and someone of another uh, line or another race. She was from the line of Ham. And so one writer says, does he, God, care about the people who are, who are not normally at the center of the story? What about people who have no stature in the world's eyes and are basically unknown? Does God love them too and care about their hurts and needs? What about Hagar's rights? What about her needs? What about her dreams? Is she just expected to submit to this culturally acceptable option? Is she literally a very disgruntled option B? You know, it's kind of like when you get a phone call from somebody and they invite you to the game and then you find out that they called 10 other people before they called you. It's like, well, gee, it's great that you gave me this invitation, but <laughs> apparently I was not high on your list. You called me out of desperation to get rid of a ticket. You know, it's kind of that thing. That's the Hagar complex, if you will. And maybe some of you are in that boat. You know, you're not necessarily upfront or notice that much. And, and so here she is. And here's Abram. You know, he's brought her into the household. She's Sarai's maid, but, um, you know, Abram... I'm sure has been showing her the ways of Yahweh, what he's learning, but you know the clock is ticking and this couple's feeling pressure. At this point, uh, from what we can put together in the scripture, uh, Abram is 85 and Sarai is 75. And so, you know, time is going by and it's going by rather quickly. And so this is uh, an all too common experience for believers. Failing to see God work as soon as we think he should, we begin to feel that he is waiting for us to do our part before he will do his. We then devise various plans, I'm reading from one writer, and programs to get it done. 
only to find it is all in vain. And in fact, we've probably done more harm than we've done good. We start to imbibe or embrace the old sayings like God helps those who help themselves. Isn't that in the Bible? <laughs> no, that's not in the Bible. But, but we hear people talk about that. And, and so maybe Abram and Sarah are at this point where desperation is happening and pain is driving a lot of it. In fact, I would tell you guys, when we let a decision be driven by pain or shame or desperation, we normally get ourselves in trouble. Would you not agree? We often make rash, poor decisions because we're feeling pressure and we're feeling like we got to get this done or something needs to happen. And so I think Sarai may have done something like this. She may have said, well, I'm the one making the sacrifice here for my husband. Maybe she rationalized it. Maybe she had a list of rationalizations. Maybe she made the list of pros and cons, as some of us are famous of doing. Should I do this? Well, here's the pros, here's the cons. Maybe she did that. But deep down, I think she was troubled by this whole situation. And after Abram had lived 10 years, verse 3, in the land of Canaan, that's the land of promise, Abram's wife, Sarai, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her maid, and gave her to her husband, Abram, as his wife. Uh, R. Kent Hughes says there's an, uh, also an ironic reversal here. Down in Egypt, trustless Abram had given Sarai over to the Egyptian pharaoh. Now in Canaan, untrusting Sarai gave Abram over to her Egyptian servant. Abram's fiasco in Egypt was costly indeed, more costly than one might conclude on the surface. When he went down to Egypt, a type of the world, in the midst of a famine, because he didn't trust in God, he picked up some baggage along the way, and they continued to haunt him in his later years. When we make decisions like that, oftentimes they catch up to us in different ways and unexpected ways. And so Abram... You know, Sarai made this suggestion. She said, take my maid, she'll be your wife. And Abram said, okay, honey, <laughs> whatever you say. <laughs> I don't know if there was a quick ceremony or what occurred, but all of a sudden, you know, he's accepted this option. Now, some of you may be thinking, but I've read my Bible, and from what I understand, God's been making this promise, and he says the heir is going to come from Abram's body, but he hasn't been specific about the woman. And maybe, you know, if you're Abram, you're thinking, well, hey, who knows? This could be the way. But Abram knew better. Here's why. Because from this line of an Egyptian is the line of Ham, and the, the line of the Messiah would come from the line of uh, Shem, which comes from Eber. Uh, Abram's known as a Hebrew. And in fact, there's something that I want you to see, and it's in Genesis chapter 9. Just look back there for a second. Genesis 9, remember when Noah gets drunk in the tent, uh, Genesis 9, and uh, look at verse uh, 22, Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father, told his brothers outside, but Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it upon their shoulders, walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father, and their faces were turned away so that they did not see their father's nakedness. As the story unfolds, what happens is Noah realizes what happened and he pronounces a curse on Canaan. And it's, it's Ham's descendants, basically, is what's happening. And so Abram, here's my point, has to know, if you read up through 26, you'll see the curse on that line, that it can't, this promise cannot be coming. This is my own view. I don't think Abram believes fully in his heart that the promise can come through an Egyptian maidservant. I think he knows that the line's going to come through Shem. 
But here's what happens, and you're going to see many times in your Bible, if you turn back to chapter 16, that there are polygamous relationships that are laid before us. Uh, but one thing you need to know as well is that this was not God's will. A man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, singular, and the two shall become one flesh. From the beginning, monogamous heterosexual marriage was always God's will. When people uh, brought another wife in, sometimes it was for the purpose of bringing an heir. But whenever this happened, it, I think in every case that I can recall, it ends very badly. It's just a bad, bad decision. And so there's unpleasant and even shattering consequences. And so he, Abram, went into Hagar. They were intimate and she conceived, and it would seem rather quickly, 16.4. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress, which could be translated her lady or her queen, was despised in her sight. So all of a sudden, can you imagine being Sarah? You have given your husband to another woman, for what you may be trying to reconcile as noble purposes, he's been intimate with her. He's been in the arms of another woman. Now your intimacy in your marriage has been compromised. Something that's only supposed to be between a husband and a wife to be shared in the context of marriage has now been compromised and we could even say soiled. And now she's pregnant, but now she despises Sarai. It could be that she's saying, well, Sarah, you're the problem, not Abram. But it could be that this whole situation has just made Hagar bitter. And Hagar has decided to strut around the ball that's out in front of her. Can you imagine? These two women in a tent, you know, trying to live together. And your husband's gotten another woman pregnant, which you suggested, by the way. And now she's walking around and she hates you now. And I'm sure you're not too happy with her. And she's probably sticking her belly out a little farther. She walks through the kitchen. Uh-huh. And Sarai's got to be fuming. I mean, the medley of emotions that this woman must be feeling from jealousy to bitterness to rage, uh, I'm sure was all coalescing in her emotion and in her mind. She probably did one of these things. Have you ever done this? Boy, it sounded like a good idea at the time. You know, we do that a lot of times when we make decisions in life, we we kind of measure things and we, we, we think of the downside and then we say, but, you know, this is, this is going to be good. It'll be all right. And then reality sets in. And it's not such a great idea after all. And we didn't think about all the potential consequences and details that we should have factored in because we're dealing with humans here. Everybody know what I'm saying? Humans just tend to get themselves in trouble. And Sarai said to Abram in a classic line in the Bible, May the wrong done me be upon you. I gave my maid into your arms, but when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her sight. May the Lord judge between you and me. Translation, Abram, it's all your fault. Now, we've all been there before, and I would say that Sarai has a point, because Abram is the leader, and this is where we don't talk much about the head of the household on the flip side. You know, we talk about, you know, the man is the head of the woman and submission and people get their feathers ruffled. But men become culpable to God when they hearken unto other voices, even the voice of their wife, and lead the family in the wrong direction. Gentlemen, it's a pretty big, significant calling, don't you think? 
that God's going to hold us responsible, even if we could say, but it was the woman. He could say this to his wife. It was the woman you gave me. This sounds like Genesis 3, doesn't it? When, <laughs> when Adam said to God, it's the woman you gave me. And the woman says, it's the serpent. And the serpent said, no leg to stand on. You guys know the joke, right? This is the, the classic blame shift, but the, the Hebrew word for wrong, may the wrong done uh, me be upon you, is the Hebrew word could be translated the violence done to me. She feels devastated, ravaged. I was reading a study note in my Nelson New King James study Bible, and it, it said that this is probably one example in the Old Testament where this is the closest to swearing you can get in the Bible. She's basically pronouncing a curse on her husband. May the wrong done to me be upon you, she says to her husband. This is not happy times in the tent of Abram. It's not a good thing. Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I'm suffering, NIV. I put my servant in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. You want to talk about tension in the tent? This is what birthed an early reality show back in the time of Abram. It's called Tension in the Tent. What? <laughs> Certainly had a possibility to be a reality show, huh? And so here's this incredible account. Moses wrote the account as a parallel to the fall in the garden. One writer says, Sarai's action was parallel to that of Eve. Here, Abram listened to his wife, verse 2, just as Adam listened to his wife, Genesis 3. I think it's verse 7. Here, here, Sarai took Hagar, just as Eve took the fruit. Here, Sarai gave Hagar to her husband, just as Eve gave the fruit to her husband. And in both cases, the man willingly and knowingly sunk his teeth in, partook of the fruit. And it was a bad, bad mistake. It caused devastation to the whole human race in Genesis 3, and it caused devastation to the whole tent of Abram right here. So the situation is growing worse with each passing day, and I'm sure it became unbearable for Sarai. One thing that happens when we stop trusting God, no matter how reasonable our lack of trust seems, is that we tend to blame God, as we see in verse 2 that Sarai did, or other people, as we see in the following verses, for our difficulties. We detect a belligerent note as if Sarai saying, I know we should trust God for a solution, but God has made things too difficult for me to do that now. Are you there? Are you a person who says, oh, God, you've just made it too difficult, and that's your justification for doing things maybe out of God's order? You know, it, it, we turn it around, we put it back on God. And you might be asking tonight, well, then why, why would God make them wait so long? Well, one reason is because God wanted it to be unmistakable that the child of promise, Isaac or Isaac, his name means laughter. He wanted it to be undeniable that it was a miracle. And God will sometimes do that. He'll make us wait so that the credit and the glory can only go to God alone. And that's a tough place to be in. And Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your maid is in your power. Uh, I don't know how long this went on, but uh, the complaints kept coming to Abram, and Sarai was angry and bitter and mad. And Abram did what many men do in passive response. He said, do to her what is good in your sight. Okay, honey, whatever you decide. 
Now, technically, I guess he could do this because she, Hagar, was technically the servant of Sarai. And so Sarai, in this ancient context uh, where there was servitude, she was technically under the power of Sarai, and Sarai could do what she wanted. And that put Hagar in a pretty tough spot. And so Abram says, you decide. So Sarai, notice this is not good. What Hagar does is not uh, great, and what Sarai does is not great, although very human. Sarai treated her harshly. If you have an NIV, it says, verse 6, Sarai mistreated Hagar. This word mistreated is used later of what the Egyptian taskmasters did to the Israelites as they were slaves in Egypt. She treated her harshly. Greetings, listening family. This is Oscar Santa Cruz, producer of Living Truth Radio, and I'm sitting here with Pastor Michael Lance, and you just heard a segment on Genesis chapter 16. Pastor Michael, this chapter is rich, and there's just so many things that we can take from this. Uh, Without having to go over what you've already taught, what else can we take from this chapter here? Well, Oscar, you know, one of the things that we talked about before we came on the air is the kind of just the human side of a, a couple that largely walks by faith, is celebrated for their faith in the New Testament in mm-hmm. Hebrews 11 and 1 Peter 3. And yet, um, very human, uh, you know, getting ahead of God. The whole Hagar incident is really Sarai experiencing barrenness. We understand the pressure that was on her to produce offspring for Abram. There's a promise behind this whole thing that God is going to multiply this family to bless the world. Mm -hmm. And yet it's not happening in the timing that they expect. And we all struggle with timing, right? Oh, yes, very much. You know, we look at promises that God has made to us, Oscar, and we believe. But we often say like the dad in Mark 9, oh, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Yes. And sometimes our unbelief manifests itself in our impatience. And so God is, you know, we, we watch God in the Bible. He's very patient. He executes things in his time and in his way. And we, you know, especially our generation, Oscar, we want things instantaneous. And I think that's one of the lessons they get ahead of God. And, uh, you know, Ishmael comes along. And, uh, you know, one of the things we will talk about is that God does minister to Hagar and gives a promise connected to Ishmael. But there's tension in this household. You know, people often ask, this is some of the practical side of it, Oscars. You know, why did God allow these polygamous relationships in the Old Testament? Well, you know, there was culturally speaking, another woman was brought in to bear offspring. It seemed to be culturally acceptable. It was like a second wife for the purpose of bearing offspring to the, to the male. And yet at the same time, whenever it happened, there was strife. I think of the example of this household where there's harsh treatment going back and forth Mm -hmm. and there's bitterness and jealousy. Later on in the Jacob story, as we get there, as we teach through the book, we'll see the same thing with the sisters, Leah and Rachel, and tension over barrenness and maidservants that are brought into the marriage. And in fact, later we're going to learn that Jacob, uh, who's later renamed Israel, has his 12 sons through four different women. Mm. And so the Bible's very honest, Oscar, but it's also honest about the consequences when we don't wait on God. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at Living Truth Corona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. 
You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.